All right, good morning, Mercy family. All right, so that uh, video you just saw is kind of our little preview, getting us ready for Serve Week coming up in just a couple of weeks now, March 23rd. Serve Week for us is kind of like an orientation of sorts for all of us as a church family to get to know and to begin to kind of check out the ministry partners that we have joined up with, that we have locked arms with here um, as Mercy Church. There's about 12 ministry partners that we have throughout the city. Man, they are doing the work that really the, the church is called to do, which is to be not just the ones that proclaim the love of Christ with our words, but also demonstrate the love of Christ, right? With our actions, that we're actively sharing and showing the love of Christ to our city. That's a calling God's placed on us. We take that uh, very seriously. And so these ministry partners, y'all, they've been doing it. This is their 24-7, and we think it is uh, the best thing for us is to join up and partner alongside of them. So that week, really, it's not like we're going to go there that week, and then we're going to purell our hands and never go back again or something like that, right? It really is intended to orient you to these different partners to see what's your fit for being able to serve year-round in our community, okay? we got about 300 slots that we have, and we're kind of, that's eight ministry partners and four schools We've got 300 slots over the course of that week, so we're saying take a couple hours. Usually the slots are between two to four hours. So take a couple of those hours and go and serve um, in our city and learn what the Lord is doing and see and experience what the Lord is doing here in our city, all right? Uh, the website is up there, uh, mercycharlotte.com slash serveweek. You can go ahead. It's up there live, and you can sign up now, all right? You guys good? We're going to do that. We're going to crush it, right? Because it's like, it's not mercy's reputation that's at stake, it's Christ's that's at stake, right? And we want to show the love of Christ to our city, all right? With that said, let's transition over to our last sermon in the Pray 20 series. Um, This has been a series, I've just been super encouraged from you uh, at the way this series has gone. The simple idea was to call our church to pray for 20 minutes every day. And if we will give ourselves to to that practice constantly, We could really unlock a closeness to God that most of us want, but have trouble finding. Well, today we're going to close out the series by talking about an elephant that's been kind of hanging around the room as we've been talking about prayer. Um, I wanted to spend a lot of time up front talking about the richness of drawing close to the Father because about how prayer is this incredible access to God because I wanted a foundation for dealing with the harder side of prayer. The elephant in the prayer room, so to speak, is how do you deal with unanswered prayer? How do you deal with it when it's not answered the way that you asked? Think about a couple that I prayed with recently, um, similar to Alan's story that he shared with you. You know, we pray, the couple is struggling with infertility. We pray over them. Um, They get pregnant, everybody's celebrating, and then shortly after, they lose the baby in miscarriage. What do you do with that? Seemingly answered prayer somehow revoked, something like that. Think about a friend that I have prayed with um, for this friend who's single to have a spouse, God to bring along a spouse. Um, and year goes by, year goes by, no spouse. We're going, this, this friend loves Jesus, is trying to serve the Lord. What do you do with that? Or think about a couple who's prayed for years for a wayward child, but the child continues to self-destruct. That's so many people's stories as their children start to hit teenage years and this particular family, it's good believers, good parents, 
write prayers, but no answers. What do you do with that? And you compound that with scriptures like these, these words from Jesus in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. John 15, 7, a couple of verses later. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it'll be done for you. John, just a few verses later, verse 16 in chapter 15. You didn't chose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit so that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. You go down to John 16. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you anything. You ask the Father in my name, what? He will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Not once, not twice, but five times just in this little section. Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Just ask. And the rest of the New Testament seems to give us kind of a similar expectancy. Ask and you will receive. And sometimes I just find myself going, really? Really, Jesus? What about my friend's baby? Was that not in your name? What about my friend who's faithfully serving you and asking for a spouse? Is that not in your name? What about my friends who want their child to grow up and love you? Is that not in your name? You feel the tension in that? I mean, we've been talking about the wonders and goodness of prayer for a few weeks. We've seen the personal closeness to God that prayer offers us, the power it unlocks in and through us. And yet there is this reality that life just often confronts us with. That's going to be our topic for the rest of today. What do we do when some prayers seem to go unanswered? We couldn't have a series where we talk through and call us up to pray and not deal with this reality that if you live long enough, you're going to be confronted by. This is the elephant in the prayer room. Why some prayers are answered and others aren't. And how do we live in the middle of that? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to equip you to walk into that space where prayer seems unanswered and things are hard there. We're going to call that place, just to put a, a name on an idea around it, the spiritual desert, right? All of us will go there at some point. James 1 tells us, not, it says, whenever trials come. It doesn't say if ever trials come. It says whenever, they're coming. And we all know that to be true, right? And I know, and what I want to show you is that the desert can actually become a place where you can experience the richness of God in a way that you can't otherwise. So to do that, we're going to be over in Psalm 13. If you got your Bible, make your way over there. I'm going to have the words on the screens as well. This is a Psalm of David, and it is a Psalm of lament. Psalm of lament. A lament It's not a word we use a lot, modern day church world, but it's basically an expression of grief. It's this admission that everything is not okay. You are not okay. You need God, but you can't see God. All right, that's when we're talking about lament, that's what we're saying here. This, whatever you're in, it's not okay right now. It's owning up to that. Right? It's acceptance of a painful reality. I need God, but I can't see God. So I'm going to take that painful reality and try to put it before a God that I'm struggling to see. 
It's like a funeral dirge, if you know what that is. We're going to walk through it and see what to do here in Psalm 13, what to do in the desert. And y'all, maybe you need this right now. Like, you hear me saying, what do you do when prayers seem to go unanswered? And you're like, dude, I've been reading my mail. I know what's going on with that. How do you know? Maybe that's where you are. You came in and that's, this is God's appointed time for you to come in and really wrestle through that and hear from him. But maybe, this might be true for a lot of us, if it's not you, number one, it's probably going to be at some point. But number two, maybe it's for a friend or a family member, and you're going to be the one that God uses to help them see his love and kindness even in the desert that they're in. All right, so we're going to walk through it, see what you do in the desert. I'm going to show you some elements of lamenting as we go. I want to warn you, this thing already, I know it feels a little low in here, right? Um, A little somber. This thing starts low, and then it like goes lower, if that's possible, okay? So it's, if in about 15 to 20 minutes you feel pretty bummed out, you are rightly feeling Psalm 13, okay? And then it's going to end just really exalting God and full of hope. But you got to go with it. That's actually incredibly important that you go through that because oftentimes we try and shortcut straight to the exalting God in our grief and we're actually just faking it. We're not really exalting God. We're just faking it because we don't want to go down into that space. That space scares us. I want you to follow the psalmist as follow David as we go through this because I think you'll see even a deeper hope as we come to the end of it, okay? All right, that, my hope is that we walk out of here rejoicing in God in a, even in a way maybe we haven't before. So verse one, you guys ready? Yeah. Good, okay. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? How long, four times in two verses, how long, Lord? Y'all, that's the hardest part about being in a spiritual desert. You do not know when you're going to get out. Maybe you start to wonder, am I ever gonna get out of here? You hear despair in this. Like, this isn't a prayer of repentance. David is not over here going, you know what? Man, I really messed up, and that's why, I'm so, that's why I'm here. No, he puts this on God in verse 1. How long will you forget me, God? It feels like you've abandoned me. I've served you. I've done my level best to follow your commands. This is what I get? You're going to forget me forever? How much longer? This agony and, and a lament is going to have this to it. It's a combination of confusion and hurt mixed together. And if you've really been in agony and grief before, you know that feeling of I'm struggling to get the words out because I'm confused about why this is all even happening and I'm hurt by it. That's what you hear in him. And not only do my outward circumstances feel that way, how long will you hide your face from me? The face of God represents the blessing of God. That's why the past couple of weeks we've closed out our service reading number six over you guys. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look with favor on you and give you peace. We we read that over you because the face of God turned towards us 
represents the blessing of God and the presence of God with us. And David is saying, it's not only, not only is my situation bad, God, it feels like you've gone quiet on me. I don't know why, and it's killing me. It feels like he's suffering alone, and suffering alone has this way of multiplying the anguish of the soul. How long will I agonize in my mind? Can any of you relate to him yet? How long will my enemies dominate me? I wonder if this is what, you know, I'm a Tar Heel. I'm like, maybe this is what Coach Williams is saying. How long? No, that's for you, Tar Heels. We're going to get through it. It's for us. No. But the, the enemies that dominate him, actually commentators say there's, you know, sometimes David, he had a son named Absalom. Absalom tracked him down um, and, or was hunting him and was trying to overthrow him. And some say maybe this is what I was talking about. But actually what most say is the reason this was left vague was very intentional so that it could be a psalm of lament for God's people for all time. There is... There are these enemies that we face. Sometimes they're internal, sometimes they're external. Maybe it's a temptation that is the enemy dominating you. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's despair, anger, sickness, a conflict. How long will it last, God? When God seems silent, when it seems like he's not answering, and it feels defeating. There's just nothing quite like it. Look at verse 3. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Look at this language. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I'm asleep in death. One of the things that I take great hope, even as we're on this way down still in the psalm, is that he's not done asking. That's a big part of what makes a lament so important. One of the big things in being able to survive in a spiritual desert is understanding how to pray when you feel like you are done praying. Right? See, the reason you don't feel like praying anymore is because you are tired, that's verse 1, from nothing changing when you pray. And the lie we often believe, therefore, is, well, that means prayer doesn't work, so I'm done. But the Psalms are filled with prayers for exactly these moments because God is still God the Father, even in the desert. You know, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. There's a reason for that. God knew we would go through spiritual deserts where it seems like, to us, it seems like he's not listening. So he made a way for us to deal with that very feeling. But lamenting is a lost practice in much of the American church. Y'all, it is, it's the prayer that helps us survive the desert because there's a, there's a hope built into it. David's laments always have a pattern to them. How long? How long? How long? And then eventually there's a but, and then the psalm makes a turn. That's going to be verses 5 five and 6 for us. But that's not what often happens in the American church. Historically, the global church is very accustomed to expressing lament, all right, to walking with, with God through a desert, but we are not. So instead of how long, but, and then turning to praise, so many people say, How long? How long? How long? You know what? I'm out. It's so common. I haven't heard, so I'm out. Just recently, I read a story of two fairly well-known guys uh, who used to be Christians, share about what they called their journey away from Christianity. I wouldn't presume to boil down their whole story to like one reason, because they did a lot of work to, to share a bunch of reasons, but 
there was a thread throughout. And the thread throughout was, well, I, I prayed, and I kept praying, but then I didn't hear an answer, so I left, and I'm not a Christian anymore. And I, maybe you, you probably wouldn't go that far here this morning. Maybe you would, but probably not. But probably you, you'd be where a lot of Christians are, is they just kind of settle into spiritual compromise, into spiritual boredom and malaise, almost like a fog is over them because they're like, they just don't expect God to actually answer prayer anymore. One of the greatest, greatest problems with the church, and, and that's why we call Mercy Church to the season of prayers. We want to expect that God still moves. We've lost the practice of being able to say, I'm not okay. The situation's not okay. God, I can't see you in this, and still I trust you. We've lost that, y'all. The absence, Sung Chung Ra, uh, wrote a great book on lament um, that Pastor Richard read and then told me the important parts of, okay? And um, that's what happens a lot because that dude reads like crazy. Anyways, um, I thought it was particularly powerful. He said, the absence of lament in the liturgy of the American church results in, a, in the loss of memory, like a collective loss of memory. We forget the necessity of lamenting over suffering and pain. We forget the reality of suffering and pain. Go back to verse 3. Look at that imagery. Consider me. The word here is look. God, I want you to turn your face back to me again. Look on me again. Restore my weary soul brighten my eyes. Y'all, your physical suffering often messes with you spiritually, and spiritual suffering almost always messes with you physically, right? And Matthew 6, Jesus says the eyes are the lamp to the body. Basically, your eyes will tell the story. If your eyes are full of life, so are you. <laughs> and if not, the same thing. And don't you know this to be true? Just like when you see people, you can tell Aside from like brand new moms who they're just really tired, okay? It's physically, they're exhausted, all right? And their eyes show it. But our eyes often reveal where we really are. And even in the South and even in the Bible Belt, where we are really good at putting on a face, right? Coming to church, put on a face. But almost the first thing to give us away to what's really going on is if we just make eye contact for a little while, which is why we often get so scared to actually sit there and do that. And here's David saying, Lord, bring back life, because otherwise I'm asleep in death. That's the death of the soul. That's hopelessness. That's where he goes without God. He's talking about despair, how it gives way to depression. He's talking about that rock bottom spot. And he adds one more thing. My enemy, this is verse four, my enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. David almost always includes a reference to the victory his enemies will win and how they're going to flaunt that over him if they do and how they're going to flaunt that against God if they do. You see, he ties his salvation to God's reputation and he's right to do so because he's one of God's, which means God's glory is at stake with whatever happens to him. And y'all, we have a very real enemy, the father of lies, who scripture tells us wants us to fail, 
wants us to be shaken. And this same David in Psalm 62 is going to say, I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. So what? I'll never be shaken. So God, if I am shaken, your reputation is shaken. And you and I need to realize there is a spiritual battle being waged in the desert where the enemy who is much smarter than you is trying to destroy your soul. And you and I need to cry out to God. Say, God, I've given you my life, even here in the desert. If the enemy wins against me, he wins against you. So for your namesake, not for me, not for my pride, not for my comfort, but for your glory, God, you got to pick me up here. You got to deliver me, God. You got to carry me right now. Praise God that his reputation is linked to our deliverance. Not linked to our suffering. People suffer. We suffer. It's not linked there. It's linked to our salvation. Actually, it is linked to our suffering because Christ himself would suffer and die for us. And then it's linked to our deliverance as well. It doesn't mean we don't suffer. By the way, right here, I want to remind you, speaking of, that this isn't just an echo. Like when you read Psalm 13, you're not just supposed to hear an echo and then insert yourself into this and then go through that. You are, but before this is your story, this was actually Jesus's story. Like Jesus doesn't just come along at the end and fix your problems. Hebrews tells us we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way just as we have been. He was the one who was with the Father, far closer to the Father than you and I could ever be. But he went up on the cross, and what does he cry out in Mark 15? When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, darkness. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's a lament. It's the dirge. It's that call out, how long, O Lord, where are you? See, you and I feel abandoned by God, and we wonder, where is God? And the truth is, Jesus is saying, yes, I know that feeling. We feel struck down, left alone by God, and Jesus is going, yes, I know that feeling. In fact, there was a moment in time where Christ hung where no one else has at any point in space and time since, completely cut off from the Father so that he could endure all that our sin deserved so that we would never have to be truly and finally cut off. So when you cry out, why, God, how long, O Lord? Jesus isn't over here shaking his head, frustrated at you that you just won't trust God. He's with you. He's with you in it. He's saying, I know that feeling. And I made sure to know it in a way that you would never have to fully. Some of us want so desperately for God to just get us out of the desert. And God is saying, hey, what I need you to learn right now is that I'm with you in the desert. I'm there even now. That's what happens, y'all. Sometimes God says no to our prayers because he wants us to use that feeling of need to draw close to himself. If he answered every, think about this for a second. We pray, he answers everything immediately. 
God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this, which it would just turn into give me prayers, right? That's what it would just predominantly be. What would our relationship to God be? It'd just be like walking up to an ATM machine. We would treat God like a transactional, spiritual ATM machine. He doesn't want that relationship with us because he knows that's not what's best for us. He wants to ha- us to have a child-father relationship with him. And sometimes he uses the desert to draw his children back to himself. Because what is best for us is the presence of the Lord with us. That's why in Luke 11, Jesus says, how will he who loves us like a father not graciously give us the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit graciously give us his very presence with us. Nothing is better than God with us. And maybe he's holding his answer right now to give us the space to be satisfied with his presence. Y'all, I was thinking about this this morning in my, um, my Bible reading. I was reading the crucifixion account in Luke. And the very last thing Jesus says in the Luke account is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The very last thing Jesus does is model yet again at what could arguably be the darkest place in all history, the worst desert any human has ever gone through in all history. And what does he model in that moment? Into your hands. The very song that we sang earlier, into your hands, Father. Even now, where you have abandoned me and I can't hear you, Father, I still trust you. And I give you everything. You will go through the desert, Isaiah 43 says. But when we go through the desert, God says, I'll be with you. When you pass through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm there even still. Jesus has gone to a desert you and I will never have to go to in order to secure the presence of God in the desert with us now, which leads us to the turn of the psalm. Verse five, but, but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me. Look at the audacity of this based on where we started the psalm because he has treated me generously. The great hope of all Christians, there is a past tense and a future tense bound up in our hope. I have trusted in your faithful love. That's what I I did. That's what I continue to do. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things unseen. I have chosen to trust in God's faithful love. That trust, that faithful love, that's the gospel itself. Christians, looking from this side of the cross, we say the faithful love of God for us is seen most fully in the death and resurrection of Christ, where someone went and paid for my sins, the sins that I rightly owed to, it was was on me to pay for. Someone goes up on the cross, Christ goes up, pays for them, but he doesn't stay dead after that. He got out of the grave. And in getting out of the grave, he defeats death. He defeats the consequences of death. He defeats the reign of sin and death. And so now I'm free. And I have trusted in that. And listen to me. The circumstances of the desert 
do not change the certainty of the gospel. You got to grab that. This whatever desert, the circumstances that you're in right now, and I'm not trivializing them in any way, but the circumstances of the desert do not change the certainty of the death and resurrection of Christ and what it offers us. When I'm in the desert, I have a promise that I can cling to because of Christ. I have promises that I can cling to. He's been there, right? That's a promise that I can cling to is that he knows my suffering when he says that he knows it. He does. He knows it. That's a promise. He died so that I didn't have to. That's a promise, right? He resurrected, which guarantees me new life. That's a promise. He went up to the father and said, one day, he said, I'm preparing a place that one day I'm going to bring you home with me. That's a promise. He said, you're sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be with you till the day that I bring you home with me. So you'll never be without me. That's promises that I cling to in the desert. But not only that, while I'm in the desert, there's someone clinging to me. That's maybe the most powerful promise you need to latch on to right now. His name is Jesus. And he says, you don't even have to get up right now. No, I've got you. I have won the battle for you. You can share in my victory. And so we can receive what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2. When you were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. He made us alive with him. And he forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed us, he took it all away by nailing it to the cross. He Talk about those enemies, those enemies that are dominating you right now, that cycle of sin that you can't seem to get out of right now, that you feel oppressed by right now. No, no, no. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Brothers and sisters in the desert, Christ loves you. He has suffered like you, and he has suffered in greater ways than we have. Christ has forgiven us. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has defeated the enemies that threaten us. Christ has brought us home. He's made us sons and daughters. The victory is ours, church. Trust in the certain, not in the circumstance. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says, just hit home with me in preparing this message. He said, listen, now, right now, we have this treasure this hope, we have it in jars of clay. So that this, listen, clay jars are not impressive, right? Eventually they crack and they break down. Some of you are feeling that more than others, right? You're staging life, like, yeah, I feel my clayness, right? But here's why. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power the resurrection power, the power to break free from sin that ensnares us, right? The power of prayer that when we go before God, things happen. The reason we have this treasure in these clay jars that we are is why? So that this power may be from God and not from us. So that when we go into our city and we try and share the love and hope of Christ and put the power of, put the hope of Christ on display, there's this power that comes with that, and there's no way it can be attributed to us. So we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. 
We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. For we who, are, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that, so that, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. Y'all, maybe, maybe God hasn't delivered you from some struggle, external, internal, or some temptation because his plan is to use this struggle to put something on display through your mortal flesh about the power of God. Old pastor John Newton, he, he wrote um, towards the end of his life, kind of in frustration, but also in an insight as to why, why hasn't God delivered me from the same temptations that I've been facing for the past 40 years? And he realized it was to teach him humility. He said, I realize now the pride is the most important thing to be delivered from. And the humility of Christ is what would mark the remainder of his life. And what many would write about him was that they saw this man with such great intellect, so humbled all the time, and they saw Christ through him. Maybe you're in a situation right now, I don't know, maybe you're a spouse walking through abandonment. What you need to hear is that he is there with you in that desert, in the desert, extending his life to you. And in that feeling of loneliness and betrayal, what you hear Christ saying is, I'm with you. And I'm using you to show the world the hope of Christ, even in the midst of the most painful betrayal. He has gone before you. He is with you now. And he has secured for you life everlasting with him. To the teenager dealing with same-sex attraction, he may want to use you as a demonstration to everyone that you will hold on to God's word even when everything in you goes the other way. And that your identity in Christ is greater is more life-giving, more worthy of your heart. That's Christ being displayed through your mortal flesh, and that's victory. Charles Spurgeon famously said he had learned to, over time, kiss the wave that knocked him back onto the rock of ages. Do you see Christ with you now? Do you see he's real in your suffering? Your suffering It's real, but it's not going to destroy you. And this light and momentary affliction, somehow the Apostle Paul gets to that spot in Romans 8 where he calls very real affliction light and momentary and not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Victory is ours. And when you see that, you'll join David in verse 6. You will sing. You'll sing to the Lord, because he has dealt with you so generously. <laughs> That's, isn't that a strange sight? I mean, think about this just a second. Mental picture. Guy or girl walking through the desert, tattered clothes from a bunch of battles they've been in. And here they are <laughs> walking through the desert singing. And not in some deranged way, right? But in solemn hope. In a, in a way and with a song that allows tears to flow, that actually expects tears to flow. But those tears carry a truth with them. And that truth is Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice 
from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will be with them. He will. They will be his peoples, and God, (laughs) God himself will be with them and will be their God. And what will he do? What's the first item on the agenda? He's going to wipe away every tear. Every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because those things, the previous things, the desert has passed away. And the beautiful thing is, the ch- in the church, it's not one person walk, walking alone in the desert. It's a whole group of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, strangers and aliens here in this world, bound together by a hope in a world that is to come. We were never meant to be comfortable here. We were destined to suffer, and in Christ, we're able to suffer well. And so we go forward, singing our song of salvation to the world. That's why he says, I'll sing. This singing here, it's not just therapeutic. It's evangelistic. Sometimes God uses his people most powerfully when they openly trust him when nothing seems right. Right? When they say like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, my God can deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to trust him anyway. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ, and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate me from that. Y'all, our world wants that kind of certainty longs for it. We can't keep it to ourselves. I think about that one, we talk about this all the time, especially with Easter coming up, that one in your life who's far from God but is close to you. Don't wait till you're out of the desert to talk about God with that person. Talk about how you're trying to follow God in the middle of the desert. Sing about the Lord even in the desert. Think about some friends I had at um, church I was at before here. And, man, it was just one of those hard moments where you had a a family, and they had five boys, oldest was 16 and on down, and mom got cancer, and she passed away. And there, as she's dying, are the dad, five boys, around the bed. And obviously, I mean, grief like this is, it's just awful. It's hard to put into words unless you've been there. And what happened next, they stayed with, the, with her even after she had passed. And then they rolled her body, the, the doctors and the staff at the hospital, rolling her body to, uh, down to the morgue. But before they, they did, um, they walked her to the elevator. And the dad and the five sons, the five sons lined up behind the dad. And they held their hands in the air and sang, It is well with my soul this man leading his sons to sing as his wife, his best friend, is gone. The mom of his kids are gone. That's a desert. That's a desert. He had been down and was able still in the desert to say, it is well with my soul. It's because he knew even then He wasn't alone. Even in that hardest, those hardest of spaces, he was not 
alone. I know some of you want that confidence. How do you walk? The number of people who came to that funeral, the number of non-Christians and that hospital staff who heard the gospel, a couple of people who responded, gave their lives to Christ through that whole situation. It was, I'm going to sing. Even if he doesn't deliver me, I will trust him anyways. He's with me in the desert and it's secured a home for me. Some of you need to hear that certainty of the gospel and finally respond to it. Pray 20 is a call to pray to the one who has come for you, who has died for you, who has resurrected in victory for you, who has reconciled you to God, adopted you into his family, and one day is coming back for you. We're going to close as we have the rest of this series praying together. Um, I'm going to give you the chance to pray with someone. We're just going to pray through this psalm. And I recognize that this is a heavier thing to pray about because we're going to pray three different things. First, we're just going to be honest with God about the desert we're in. And then we're going to, again, profess a hope in the Lord and our salvation. And then we're going to all sing together just as the psalmist does. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to break you up into groups of twos and threes. Well, I mean, I'm not going to break you up. You're adults. You can figure out somebody to pray with. But if that's uncomfortable for you, I want you to, um, when, when we say, all right, you can start praying, or actually when I say, all right, find your prayer buddy or whatever you want to call that, you just kind of bow your head and just kind of like this. That indicating to everybody else that you kind of want to pray alone for this. I do also want to say, as we get into this, we're going to have some of our staff team, some of our prayer team members and pastors kind of over on the side of the stage. Because some of y'all, like I said, just read your mail. This is in your journal. This is what you're dealing with right now. And you feel right now like you can't pray. And I want you to know that's what the church is here for, is to believe God on your behalf. We want to pray with you. And we want to pray over you. And we just want you to hear hear the promises of scripture spoken over you. All right, they're going to be up at the front of each side here. I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to find your prayer person, and then I'm going to lead us through that first prayer time. All right, so you go ahead and find your person. Psalm starts, how long, O Lord? So I was just going to say this candidly. You just need to take your pain to God. And again, maybe if it's not you in the desert right now, you need to say it on behalf of someone who you know is suffering. Right? You need to take their pain to God. And some of you need to come as, as everybody starts to pray. Nobody's going to be looking at you. Right? This room is going to sound like a bunch of children talking to their dad. All right? And you need to go and you need to let some pastors, some prayer team members pray over you. But just talk to them. Express that. I told you, we can't shortcut the laments or our rejoicing. It's just going to be a facade. So spend some time lamenting, letting God know, God, here's what it is. You know, all throughout the scriptures, Jesus is even going to say, bring your request to God. Yes, he knows what you need before you ask. Let it stop us from coming to him. So go to him. Take your pain to God. Talk to him for just a minute or two. 
then I'll come back and lead us to the next thing. As you continue to pray with the psalmist, you can ask him, restore brightness to my eyes. With the psalmist, you can say, I have, I have believed, right? I have believed in your faithful love. Go back and thank him for the gospel. Thank him for your salvation. If you've never received it before, today, say, God, I need you. I need you right here in this desert. And I hear it today. So yes, God, I believe what Christ did. He did for me. I believe he rose again and I give you my life. Christians, thank him. Celebrate how generously he has dealt with you. This is an incredibly important part of lamenting, of walking through and praying to God and saying, I still believe it. I see it. Rest in his love for you. You take a couple minutes and you pray to him and celebrate his faithful love.
we're going to close this time of praying. Kind of. Actually, I'm going to say we're going to extend it. Some of you need to stay in that space. But the way the psalmist ends, we're going to end it the same way. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt generously with me. So we're going to sing together as we do every week. And this is why. To remind one another of how good he really is. Of how generous he is with his love and kindness towards his children. So we're going to sing Psalm 23. And the, the, the course of Psalm 23 is going to say, I am not alone. And some of you need to sing this from like your toes. You know what I mean? You need to let just full out, yes, I believe this even now. I'm not just ho-humming, going through the motions. This is my cry to the Lord. I believe he's my shepherd. I believe he goes before me. I believe he's the defender behind me. I'm not going to fear, right? I believe he's my comfort. I believe he holds me close. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Would you stand with us? You continue praying if you need to, seated where you are, but if you want to stand with us, um, we're going to sing and celebrate the Lord, our shepherd, who is with us even now.